Yeah, cats are very good at noticing what the center of attention is. <laughs> yes. Like, I could t- take months to teach, like, performers to, to really get that <laughs> catty instinct of, this is the center of the scene. This is where you should be relating. Yes. everyone, this is the Johanna Improv Podcast, and my name is Laura Dornweert. As we speak, I have a cold, you may or may not hear that, and um, it's weird because it's quite a warm winter in Amsterdam now. However, I still wanted to announce this fourth interview I did. It's with Amir Atzman from Israel, and uh, we're talking while he is uh, walking the streets of Tel Aviv. So it's quite a lively conversation with all these street sounds in the background and topics like his tour through the US with the theater project, what the Israeli improv scene is like, how improv changed his life, uh, how his warm-up looks like, and much, much more. If you want to know all the groups he's talking about, look at the show notes. They're on my website, www.lauradorneweert.com slash podcast. I wish you a lot of fun with this talk with Amir Atzman. Welcome, Amir, to this uh, interview. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yes. Uh, could you describe where you are right now? Because that's kind of special. Well, I am, I'm just walking down the street in, uh, in Tel Aviv. And I'm in, actually in the city square. This is the municipality building. And there's some nice ponds and water fountains. And this is a statue commemorating the Holocaust. So it's kind of like uh, the heart of the city here. Cool. All right. And you came back from traveling, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've been traveling for about uh, six weeks. I went to the U.S. and Canada. Then I spent another 10 days in London. All right. Um, Um... Let's let's first start with um, a very like yeah it's a common question but what do you do if someone asks you at a party like <laughs> so what do you spend your days on what do you do uh, well right now that's a very good question to ask me because I haven't been doing what I usually do for a while because ah. uh, <laughs> I've been on the road but uh, my day job like my, my honest to god day job that I actually make a living uh, is translating and editing. Uh, I work mostly with psychologists and psychoanalysts. Uh, I translate uh, books and lectures and papers. Uh, so that's like that's my my daily bread. Mm-hmm. But I also make a living partially by doing improv, uh, teaching workshops and courses and performing. Uh, so that's uh, that's where I where I get money to to eat food. <laughs> and uh, recently you've been traveling. What did you do and what kind of work did you do while you were traveling? So I'm, I'm, always, uh, I'm always interested in, in, uh, in theater projects and finding ways in which theater can, you know, bring people together or, or change uh, life to the better. Uh, and a few months ago I was approached by a woman who was uh, running a joint Israeli-Palestinian theater ensemble. 
and she was looking for someone to produce and manage uh, their international tour. So they had a tour planned for October, November in the United States and Canada. And I kind of took that over and, you know, did a lot of administration for two, three months. And then I joined them on the road as their road manager. And we just had a really, really busy few weeks going from place to place in the U.S. and Canada and just being on tour with a very, very uh, lovely and crazy bunch of people. So we had uh, two uh, Jewish actresses, uh, one Israeli-Palestinian actress and one Palestinian-Palestinian actor, uh, just all in a big, big van driving around the States with all our sets and props and just performing at theaters and community centers all over the place. Uh, Windy place uh, you just found or not? Oh yeah, I'm just um, turning the corner into a boulevard. I'll try to find a less windy spot. Good, good, good. All right, so you're telling about it, and you, well, the listener cannot see that, but your face is lighting up like crazy while you're talking about <laughs> it. So, didn't you? Because you weren't one of the actors, but you're producing it. Did is that was that as inspiring as being on the stage yourself, or not? Uh, well, it was a di very, very different experience. I mean, uh, I did get to be on stage every now and again because I would introduce them and then we would have like questions and answers after each show and I would facilitate that and answer some of the questions. Cool. Uh, so I really felt part of the action even though I wasn't acting. Um, it was kind of strange. I mean, I think for next door, we agree that I will be uh, one of the cast instead of the producer. Uh, because I've also made it very clear that I, I have no intention of producing anything ever again because it's <laughs> such a dreadful job. Um, but it was, I mean, I think personally for me, there is something uh, that I'm very used to and comfortable with about this position of, you know, being kind of a spectator, looking at things from the outside. Uh, so I also kind of enjoyed that. And are you in, um, when you are normally doing your day job, are you more an actor, more a trainer? Are you doing both the same number of hours? How is the, How does that look like? Uh, I think I, when I do improv, I often do teaching and training more than, than actual performance, but it varies. It really changes according to the time of year and how many shows we have going on. I was just recently in uh, in Atlanta visiting a friend, J-Star, who runs a improv theater there. And we were just performing like three hours a day. It was crazy. Wow. So that kind of evens, evens things out a little. I guess so. Is there a, a big improv scene? Uh, so you live in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem? Uh, I mostly live in, in Jerusalem now because I came back from this tour and I'm, I'm still, uh, I still need to find an apartment, so I'm staying in Tel Aviv for now, for a week or two. Uh, but the scene here is, uh, is actually very, it's growing very rapidly. Um, it has a few centers. I think Tel Aviv is probably the busiest uh, of all the main cities. And there is some um, in the south, in Beersheba, and also 
like I've taken it upon myself over the past two or three years to just set up the the community in Jerusalem. So I've uh, I've started teaching and you know uh, running events and having shows and competition nights. Just you know doing everything I can to get people familiar and involved with this uh, this way of life. <laughs> I like that the approach like that. of. Um way of life way so of it's life. not just an art form it's a way to to look at whatever i think definitely i think even i mean because improv is it's like very similar to theater but it's not exactly theater both in the sense that uh it emphasizes certain skills that theater does not necessarily emphasize Uh, and I think, you know, if you have theatrical, th good theatrical skills, then it would be easy for you in improv, but it's a different set of skills that you need to acquire. And I also think that there is, uh, you can even say like an ideology that's much more, uh, implicit in improv than in acting. And did you feel, because the, the, the show you were touring with was a theater show, not an improv show, right? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a classic theater. Yeah, was, uh, so did you, f by being part of a theater company, see like, oh, this is what improv can learn from theater again? Or did you have any insights in that area? Well, I mean, there was something very, very funny because uh, the show was in both Hebrew and Arabic, And I was in charge of, uh, of the subtitles. You know, we had uh, English translation for, for the American audience. Uh, and I was doing the subtitles. And the actors were very, very used to kind of changing their lines a little bit here and there and improvising another little line here and there. And I was like, no, no improvisation. You can't improvise. Because <laughs> I'm doing the subtitles and the audience needs to understand. So like, I know this is who I am and this is what I believe in, but no improvisation. <laughs> Not uh, when it's subtitled. <laughs> yeah, so I had to forbid them, but they, they wouldn't listen to me. They did it anyway, so <laughs> it was kind of frustrating. Yeah, I guess. Um, but I think uh, what was interesting about the kind of theater that they do, it's uh, it's a play that's based on on community theater work. So actually, most of the scenes were originally improvised and kind of came up during workshops. So I think that, in a sense, there's a lot of room for improvisation in that kind of process. And I think that, um, uh, I don't know, I, th I think it takes me more to what theater can learn from improvisation rather than what improvisation can learn from theater. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess so. But um, I think, well, another thing this is that it's very different, like at least in my experience, to watch how people work together as a group Uh, in a theater ensemble, in an improv ensemble. Uh, I didn't have a lot of experience with theater ensembles, but uh, there was something, uh, I don't know, less, a little less supportive mm -hmm. that I found, uh, which was kind of a disappointment because I'm, you know, I'm used to uh, just having a team that kind of works together very, very committedly and you know just kind of go with each other no matter what happens and you know we were on tour and everything was so stressful 
and we really needed that, and we didn't fully have that, so that was kind of uh, kind of disappointing. I guess it also comes a little bit with the art form because improvisers are trained to work together all the time and reminded yeah. to do that. Um, I've also been in quite some dance groups and that's mm -hmm. even worse because dancers yeah. are way more individualistic. Wow. Um, I mean, you know, they have a little more discipline, um, but the other side is that they're a little less focused on the rest, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I think another thing that, you know, or maybe like the main thing that I would borrow from theater and into improv is uh, is moments of silence, because I think you know having uh, a scripted show gives you you know a very defined space for silence that in improv we we often we aren't brave enough to to take that space and and use it mm -hmm. because you know we don't know what's going to happen next so just freezing and letting the moment just be kind of empty and, and you know full of subs full of subtext that's that's sometimes a liberty that we don't take yeah i think i agree with that so when you um teach do you have particular themes you i don't know are known for or like to focus on um it kind of depends i think uh I'm very, I put a lot of focus on kind of trying to be as free and as spontaneous as possible. Uh, and I really like working with exercises just make you do things before you think about them. And, and just kind of let people experience that freedom that comes with just trusting your first instinct and you know, taking time to realize what it is you're doing. So it's like this combination of spontaneity and observation mm -hmm. that, you know, lets you do the craziest thing and then realize, oh, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to I'm gonna make it bigger and stronger and, and more of what it is. So this is what I, w what I like to focus on usually. Cool. Are your classes now that you're not in Jerusalem taken care of or did they already finish? Uh, well, I have one, one uh, usual class that, that ended in the summer. We had a, a graduation show and everything. And the other group uh, that I was teaching uh, kind of became its own independent group. And they're now like performing and, you know, like running themselves. So I'm, I'm really super proud of them. They just got into uh, a festival, like a theater festival in Jerusalem uh, we just heard a few days ago that they got, and I'm just so so proud of them. Wow. They're a so bunch of very improv, talented people. An improv group will be part of a theater festival. Yes, yes. Awesome. So it's yeah. like a festival for I think artists of all kinds of uh, all kinds of fields. Uh, it's for people who live in Jerusalem, and and yeah, they got in, and I think they're going to be very very good. Great, great. Oh, wonderful. That's a very special feeling, just like, you know, I, you know, I introduced them into improv and I taught them what, what I knew and now they're kind of running with it and passionate about it and, and you know, doing well. So it's, it's a very, very uh, fulfilling uh, thing to happen. You're like a proud father. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. <laughs> My kids <laughs> yes. doing so well. And they're growing old so fast. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> It's the weather. Um, 
Um, did you... Um, so what inspires you or who inspires you? Uh, in improv or just in life in general? Good question. I guess both. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think that in improv, what inspires me is, is people who really uh, allow themselves to be, to be darker than usual. Uh, I think there, there's like a very inspirational moment for me uh, that I saw in a show once that I keep kind of going back to uh, and telling people about because it was very, very powerful. Uh, you know, in Balori. Yes. Uh, yes. She's, she's amazing. She's, I think, you know, like one of the gurus of improv in Israel. And I had uh, the good fortune of, of studying with her and taking classes with her and performing with her. And uh, I think it was quite early on in my career, a few, I don't know, maybe five, four years ago, uh, I went to see her in a show uh, in Jerusalem uh, that she did with her group. And the hall, like the room was pretty empty. It was like maybe 15 or 20 people. And it was like a, a good show. I mean, they, they, they're one of the best groups in, in the country and they do a really, really good show. But what, uh, what really caught my attention was a bit that they did uh, at the end, like, kind of like one of the last things that they did. Uh, and I don't know if you know that, but we have a holiday in Israel called Yom Kippur, which is like the Day of Atonement. And it's like the holiest day, the most sacred day on the Jewish calendar. And what happens is that... Uh, Nobody drives their cars, so the streets are completely empty. There are no cars. It's super quiet, and all the kids go out uh, to ride their bikes. So it was a beautiful scene with three, like three teenage boys, and they were all kind of getting ready to go riding on their bikes on Yom Kippur. And uh, one of them decided to go up to the roof and want to jump off. So that was that was in Ball. Her character was just this really sad, disturbed teenager who just wanted to end it all and would not listen to the, to his friends that say, "Let's just go have fun and everything will be okay." And they end up convincing her not to jump, and they go down and they go riding. But just as the scene ends and like you know the light is coming down, she kind of runs back on stage, climb up to the roof, and jumps off. Oh wow. oh wow! And it was such a brave and and powerful moment, and it really, really uh, kind of stayed with me because I think uh, in improv, uh, when it's so easy just to do things for laughs and do things that are kind of easy and will go down well, I think there's something so special about kind of uh, making room for this kind of dark impulse and you know showing like the darker sides of life and and kind of these macabre or grotesque experiences and there's just something so beautiful about you know she obviously felt something inside her just want to do that and she did it and it was it was amazing oh fantastic and i, I just love it when improv can go to those places because that that's i think when it it becomes really beautiful and really like serious as an art form, mm -hmm. and that that when it when it it can really touch people rather than just be like entertaining and and exciting. So funny because it's funny. it's almost the same theme that 
I talked about in my previous interview with Penny Styles, and mm. that she also used the word macabre, which I think is also yeah. a great English word because um, <laughs> um, it sounds so cool. Um, yeah. I guess I guess that is the challenge in improv in general to to go there. Yeah. Do you ever um, in your performances like have particular formats? that you want to set a different tone with, or do you sometimes look for those themes in, when you perform? <clears throat> um, well, I think that uh, there's one format that we've been working on for the past year or so, and it's something very, very special. It's our own format that we, uh, that we developed in, uh, in Lamabati. Uh, it's based on uh, the writings of a very famous Israeli writer. He's like one of the most uh, well-known writers uh, from my generation here in Israel, and he does uh, a very special kind of uh, short stories, like very, very short, very to the point, uh, kind of cynical and ironic, but, you know, very, very creative, often fantastic. And this was actually something that uh, I researched when I was doing uh, my master's in comparative literature, because I used to be an academic, uh, and one day I was I was talking uh, to Rod Benzev and, he, and I told him about this uh, this pattern that I found in this guy's stories, and he said, uh, "Interesting, you should uh, you should turn that into an improv format." And it took me about a year and a half, but but uh, I I proposed it to the group and we started working on it, and it's basically a seven step paradigm, uh, like we have you know that this. Uh, story skeleton that everybody knows, like uh, once upon a time, there was blah, 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 then one day. So it's uh, much more complicated and intricate than that, but it's like seven steps that would uh, make up a story that is um, in the style of this author, Edgar Keret, that's his name. Um, so I don't want to, I want to give away all our secrets, but... <laughs> uh, there's like a fantastic twist and there's like a magical solution and then things turn to the worst. And it's like a very, a lot of uh, twists and turns that are built into this format. And one of the things that we discovered is that it really allowed us to be very, very free on stage because usually uh, our group, we're very uh, story, very narrative oriented. And that tends to kind of keep us in our heads kind of, plotting the next moves and twists. And with this format, what eventually happened was that um, we kind of experimented with trying to just improvise a long form along these lines. Uh, but we ended up uh, kind of uh, getting a suggestion from the audience and then making up three stories on the spot using this paradigm, then let the, letting the audience choose one of the three stories, which we would then present as like a 45 minute long form. And you know, we know basically what's gonna happen and the audience knows basically what's gonna happen, but we don't have the hows. We don't have like, you know, the specifics of everything. So this just, you know, knowing what's gonna happen just gave us so much uh, liberty to develop characters and situations and moments. And because there's this kind of like uh, pessimism or turn to the words that's built into this uh, story paradigm, then it really lets us um, put in a lot of a lot of emotion and a lot of like maybe tragedy into what we're doing. And I think it's it's really we've had some very very interesting stories come up. 
Oh, and I, I also really like the idea of actually already uh, telling the story and then mm-hmm. showing it, which, you know, it takes away the, uh, the, the thing that lets you go into your head, which is to make the story because you already know the story. You just yeah. have to show it. Um, nice. And yeah, we were kind of, uh, we had a little struggle with it because, you know, at first we were thinking, no, this isn't improvised enough. And then we realized how much liberty it gave us to do more, you know, real improv on stage. Then we were like, okay, this is great. Yeah. Oh, I'm very curious now. Uh, well, we hope to, to come, uh, to come perform it in festivals all over the world. So, yes. uh, You'll yes. get a chance, hopefully. So you didn't travel yet with this format? Did you travel with other formats uh, in your group? Uh, well, uh, we've we've traveled so far. I think we've been to, to Finland, to the nice festival there that, that Trent organizes, and to Noah's Festival in Barcelona, and the one in, in Istanbul that the Terminal Theatre there uh, organized. And we've also been to the Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, we did that last year. We did like a month of shows there with all kinds of formats. So I think until now, we really haven't really developed a format of our own. We just kind of did, you know, a lot of long form and some, some short form games. Uh, but nothing that was truly like, you know, we had our style, which is kind of wacky and geeky. And uh, I think intelligent, even intellectual to a certain degree. Uh, but nothing that's kind of like our own our own format. Do you feel that because um, I'm especially when we were talking in the beginning, I'm suddenly so aware that your street looks so different from mine. Because now <laughs> yeah. you've been there. Um, yeah. Um, uh, do, you do you think your environment and the fact that it's I know let's let's just say in your area more stuff's happening than in mine. Yeah. At uh, this point, what's do you think that that affects your art, your work, the way uh, you improvise or the things you show on stage? I think I think it definitely does. Um, there's a very very interesting thing that happens in Israel when when you tell people that you do improv, because usually the reaction is, "Oh, playback! I love that," because uh, playback theater is super super popular here. Um, and I think that uh, there is a reason that when people in Israel think about improvisation or hear the word said, they think of playback. Uh, it's because people in this country have so many stories to tell and so many traumas to want to work through. And this is kind of like, you know, a theatrical setting that brings people together, kind of, you know, like this, uh, this tribal bonfire and everybody shares their story and see it acted out. Um, and there are, like, I think, about 80 groups doing playback theater, uh, like, seriously in Israel, while uh, improv is maybe, I don't know, 10, you know, give or take a few. Um, so this kind of, you know, uh, it casts a certain shadow on, on what we do in improv. And I think that when people come to see improv, because I think it still hasn't truly broken through here as, a, as an art on its own. It's still kind of like, you know, something between stand-up comedy and sketches. Um, so I think the audience comes with a very definite expectation of seeing something that's very fast and very funny and witty. 
And that influences what a lot of groups choose to do. Uh, a lot of groups choose to focus on short-form games rather than long-form um, and things that are more kind of, uh, I don't want to say shallow, but like they would, they would be nice. less inclined to touch, you know, deeper things. Yeah. Um, there are, there is, I think, uh, one or two groups that, that consistently do very good, and very dramatic long form, but they're kind of like in a world of their own. And most groups that are active, well, would do just like kind of funny, funny stuff, short form. And I think for us, it's been it's been quite of a challenge to try and kind of wean our audience of of this expectation to laugh every five seconds. Because like as a performer, that can be very uh, very limiting. Yeah. Oh yes, very <laughs> there. Yes, it's so interesting. I think in Holland, it's the exact opposite. Really? I think I know about five playback theater groups, and mm -hmm. it's because I'm interested that I actually know of them. Yeah, and, wow. And I don't know, a hundred improv groups yeah, around wow. the country. Yeah, I think it's the exact opposite, yeah. Wow, different world, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, every society and its, uh, and its uh, urgent needs. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. <laughs> Very few traumas to... Um, work through with uh, improvised theater, yeah. Um, do you ever do applied improv? Um, I'm not sure. You ha could you give me a definition of what you mean by that? All right, I can only give you my own definition. Sure, um, go ahead. So often it's it's translated as improv for businesses, but I personally mm -hmm. use applied improv saying improv for work or life so not yeah. for the stage but for work or life yeah uh i think we 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 do that i mean our group in particular uh we like every now and again we go to work for like a high-tech company because a lot of us uh work or used to work in in that environment uh so i think we did a, a workshop for ibm and we're you know kind of uh, in contact with a lot of other companies to to give them workshops, um, and a lot of other people do that too. Um, personally, I find that a little less uh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Like for for me for me uh, as a teacher, um, obviously it's it's like a wonderful way of of making a living. You know, is teaching people to be more spontaneous and creative and enjoy their work area more. So that's that's super good. Uh, but I'm, I'm currently, I'm really, really interested in the potential of improv to kind of help people in other areas, uh, like uh, maybe high school students who are kind of finding out about themselves and are in most, most often, more often than not, are in a very negative and unsupportive environment. And I kind of got this thing uh, two years ago when I started teaching, uh, when it, because I used to teach a lot of things before. I used to I used to teach literature at the university, and I was a, a yoga instructor for a while. Uh, but only when I started teaching improv, which, which really places this huge emphasis on interpersonal dynamics and how we treat each other, and you know how much respect and attention and listening we bring to our our contact. Uh, it's only then that I started kind of getting these memories from high school and how bad that was. 
And it just started, I, I got this feeling that, you know, everything would have been a lot better if our history teacher or geography or whatever just just made us do like a five-minute warm-up before each class just to get everybody focused and, you know, like with each other rather than um, silently mumbling to themselves about how, how much they hate everything. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if we can take the silent hate out of teenagers, but maybe we can, we can make them hateful together. That's, oh, that's, yeah, I love that. <laughs> make them hateful together. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, I think you're, you're so right because um, this... It's something that's apparently part of teenage years, that negative attitude. Yeah. And it's so interesting because I, I do think maybe you have to go through it, but you can still, that's the moment to teach young people to make different choices or to, I know. I think, to, I, yeah. I think they're mostly terrified. I mean, uh, we recently got invited to, to give uh, improv workshops to an entire high school. It's like it was like hundreds, hundreds of kids, and we did like I think about thirty workshops. Uh, we were seven people, so every everybody had like four or five workshops. It was exhausting. It was like we had to rest for three days afterwards, and it was really, really interesting to watch uh, the kids because it wasn't like a very good high school, and a lot of the kids were not from very uh, let's say affluent or high socioeconomic backgrounds, and you could see that they're in an environment that does not give them any room to be vulnerable. And that I think is very, very important for, for doing improv, just, you know, being in a safe environment. And you could see that, that people were just kind of super self-conscious and completely unsupportive and just kind of ready to attack and criticize anyone for every like slight uh, deviation from the norm and it was so sad because there were a few kids who were like kind of playing the games with us while other kids were kind of, you know, sitting back and refusing to do anything. And the kids who, who played just had the, great, the greatest time and we really enjoyed each other. And the kids who didn't were just kind of, you know, sitting back, mumbling in hatred. Uh, so it was just so, I mean, there's something so wasteful about it because, you know, there is so much good that human energy can do and why you know why wait until you're 25 and you're discovering improv to to do it why not just kind of start earlier on do you feel that i was thinking of um because i'm also teaching teenagers a lot and sometimes you can see that something changed in someone's head or you mm. can just see that someone did something that they didn't expect did you yeah. see that then and there, or maybe some other time? Uh, well, I think there was, it was very, the conditions I think weren't right for that because we had very, very short workshops, like a 45 minute thing with each class. So just like getting them, you know, to be in, in the mood just took, took forever and then, you know, it was over. But um, I had a, a, a wonderful uh, thing like that happen with one of my students in the class that I was teaching uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, she started out as this super shy and self-conscious and like uh, very low self-esteem and confidence. Um, and she, like in the first few classes, she would barely talk or make any suggestions and like no bold moves just everything kind of very safe and she would keep kind of looking at me to make sure hey teacher am i doing okay is this what you wanted um and as time passed 
she just got like you know we were all so supportive of her and encouraged her and she just became this amazing performer uh because she would just you know suddenly she got the ability to just open her mouth and just say the first thing on her mind and it was always perfect it was always just so to the point and like she had these all these characters like these disgruntled women who were just super angry at their boyfriend to just go into monologues about anything and she became one of the strongest uh, improvisers in the group when before that she had been like so shy and you know like you would barely notice her so that was like such a feeling of achievement for me for her and for the group as a supportive environment that could allow that to happen to her oh that's fantastic yeah i love that did you feel that improv changed you as a person definitely definitely i think that's one of the things that make me believe in it so much as a you know as a way of life and not just as as um as a genre or or an art form uh i think one of the most uh like the strongest experiences that i've had uh was when we went to our first international festival in finland and um i think that was one of the first times in my life for me as you know kind of you know this kind of strange and wacky person living in a society that's often kind of very serious and doesn't give a lot of uh you know doesn't really respect uh comedy or wackiness so it was the first time in my life that i felt just surrounded by a community of people who are funny and intelligent and witty and would like you know stand around do the stupidest jokes with me and i could trust them to do you know whatever whatever stupid or wacky thing anyone suggested and just be excited about each other and you know that was such such uh such a change from like day-to-day life which is full of people who don't listen to each other and are definitely not excited about anything <laughs> and i really remember this beautiful moment like we had this nice sauna party when the festival was over and i took an um a ride in a in a taxi back to the airport with um uh a few people uh, one of them was from uh from Austin Texas and one of them was uh, Nadine Go- uh, Nadine um Antler, Antler, Germany yes yes, Nad- yes 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 Nadine Antler, who was who was such such a wonderful improviser and you know we were kind of talking and i just realized that you know i love improvisers and i want to be around improvisers and there was something so special about people who have chosen to actively work on being uh supportive and attentive and less self-centered and that's like you know i think that most of the people who are drawn to improv tend to be the opposite of that you have a lot of people like with control issues and people who who like to be you know center stage all the time and you know ego issues and you just go on this journey and you change all of that and you find that you know your greatest achievements come through through working together and supporting and that's amazing i mean i think i was i was um, a really a very competitive person i was a very isolated person and i think doing improv just gave me uh the opportunity to work on all of that through doing one of my favorite things which is performing and being funny <laughs> and it also gave me you know 
this huge, huge blessing of being part of a troupe. And we've been together for uh, over five years now. And, you know, the most special bunch of people that I ever got to to work with. And it's such a pleasure and such an honor to to be part of something like that. And that did not happen to me before because because I was a different person. I, I did not, you know, have the the skills for that or the right frameworks for that. And it really changed me. Yeah. I, I think if you describe yourself like that, you know, I, I didn't know you then. But I guess mm-hmm. that person wouldn't say I'm honored to play with this, these talented people in one group because it's so you know, it's so grateful. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people, I think, in our, our culture, you know, this kind of very capitalistic culture, uh, you know, we're trained to not think of our goals on a scale that is larger than me. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to think about what you want to do with your life as if it's completely detached from other lives and other people. And, you know, you get to be so competitive like that because you're just thinking about yourself. And, you know, the more I do improv, the more I learn that there is so much happiness and happiness that is so much uh, truer that comes from from working in a group and, and, you know, kind of tying your life and your achievements and your skills to that of other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have um, hopes or dreams for the next year or the next 10 years? Uh, well, I think my plan now is because I've been, I've, uh, as I told you before, like I, I come from, uh, you know, like an academic background and I used to do a lot of work on psychology and psychoanalysis. That was a very big passion of mine. And in the past few years, I've, I've kind of drifted away from that into theater. And now I want to I wanna kind of bring, bring everything back together, all the skills that I've acquired over the past few years in teaching. And uh, I want to study uh, drama therapy. All right. And kind of, you know, you know, use the wonderful, wonderful tools that improv can, can provide to, to work with communities and people in need and, you know, just every context that I can to you know, bring some of this joy and, and contentment and wholeness that I've found uh, with, with this specific genre of theater to you know, just every, every corner of the world that I can get to. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, kind of, that's like kind of my mission now. Yeah. To, yeah. to spread the good word. Great. All right. I got a, I got a couple of uh, short questions for you. You don't have to. Answer them uh, go ahead. Quickly, but, yeah. Okay. <laughs> How does your warm up look like? How does our warm up uh, in our group? Or for um, you? Uh, do you mean like before a show or be in rehearsal or yes, whatever. before a show? That's what I mean. Yes. Um, I think we kind of throw a ball around, and we have this thing that that I personally really like. We call it um, the categorical warm up. So we stand in a circle and everybody kind of suggests uh, something to do with your body, like a stretch or any kind of motion that you can repeat. And they give a category of like, you know, names of truck drivers or uh, ice cream kinds. And then we just go around the circle and everybody kind of, you know, while you're stretching your body, you're kind of warming up your mind. And, and we do that. And we also sing uh, the Lama Body song. 
which is an improvised song that we have to rhyme uh, we have to rhyme things and it's always bad things that happen to us I don't know why it's say it's so negative but it's like <laughs> uh, you know uh, it, it goes like llama body is like the, the, the chorus so it's llama body I couldn't catch a cab llama body I got an awful scab you know like uh, that's, that's our that's the music and we kind of you know, bad things <laughs> happen to us right before the show um, that's, that's our that's our warm up I love that. You just let go of all the bad things that happened to you today. You, know, you leave it in the song. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, do you have a uh, favorite um, improv-related quote or motto? Uh, I think the first thing that comes to mind uh, when you ask that is something from, uh, from Keith Johnston. I think it's in a footnote in, in his book... Uh, uh, Impro for theater, uh, and he says it's like a footnote about people who say yes and people who say no. It's like people who who are yes oriented uh, gain adventure but lose security, and people who are no oriented like they gain security but they lose adventure. Yes, and that's uh, that's kind of stuck with me. That yeah. that uh, that thought. I think it's also nice because I think he phrases it with. They are rewarded with security. No sayers are rewarded. Mm. Yeah, yes yeah. Sayers are, which I think is nice because then it's it basically says um, it's you know that there there is some sort of reward for both. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> cats on the scene. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the listener cannot uh, see that, but I have a cat that loves skyping. They love it. As soon as I start sure. talking to my screen, he's there. Yeah, cats are very good at noticing what the center of attention is. <laughs> yes. I, I could t- take months to teach like performers to, to really get that <laughs> catty instinct of, this is the center of the scene. This is where you should be relating. Yes. <laughs> oh, there's so much truth in there. Oh, God, yes. Yes, it's so true. Um, I had a last question. What was it? Oh, yeah, I know. Um... Are there uh, any uh, groups or shows or maybe even other types of resources you would recommend? Uh, that I would recommend? Wow. I think I was, I was uh, uh, in Chicago like two, three weeks ago. It's kind of a part of my tour of the States. And I saw, uh, I think, one of the best shows that I've ever seen. Uh, it was called Blessing. It was uh, Susan Messing and another guy that I forgot his name and it was a duo show and it was super, super, super funny without trying to be. And there was just so much commitment to character and beautiful scenes and so creative. Uh, it was such a pleasure to watch because I think one of the things you get when you're more experienced as an improviser is you're, you're developing an immunity to this urge to, to make people laugh. Uh, kind of on purpose. Can, you know, I can say something now that would make everybody laugh, but would kind of be less committed to my character. And beginners do it all the time. That's that's like their go-to place, and they would always do that. And, you know, it's so much fun watching a professional kind of... You can see the urge. You can see that they they know they can go there, but they decide to stick to the character and be committed to to what they've the world they've created and the person they've created 
and it was just inspiring to to watch them you know kind of go in and out of so many different characters and create these beautiful scenes together that were you know they had a lot of truth to them because you know they were both very in the scene with each other mm-hmm. so that's amazing and uh if any anybody listening gets to chicago also try to catch uh, improvised shakespeare which is amazing um and and yeah and i don't know just just do make your make up your own format i think that's that's the best suggestion i can i can make it's like find out what what works for you and, and make it yeah oh i love that that's that's a great ending um, g- go out there do stuff yep yeah <laughs> say yes yes so uh, talking about going out there what's uh, up next for you uh, wow. So I just got back from this tour and I'm kind of uh, getting everything back back in order. So I need to find an apartment and I need to go back to to my groups in Jerusalem. And I want to start an English speaking group there. And yeah, because we have a lot of international students and I think, you know, just improv would be yeah. super nice for and them. And then we can visit you. Yeah, well, you can visit anyway, because there there is a lot of uh, English language improv going on anywhere. And we've had... So many people come visit us and work with us. Uh, uh, we had Anne de Graaf come and perform. And we've had uh, Bill Barbaris come. And Donna was also, uh, Donna Orsu was also supposed to come. Um, like so many friends keep keep coming. So whenever anybody anybody out there listening to me, give me a call, <laughs> send, me a, send me a message on Facebook, come do a workshop, do a show with us. It'll be amazing. Great. Uh, where can they find you? Um... I guess your name on Facebook, and then what else? Do you have a website? Yeah, uh, uh, we we don't have a website for Lama Body, but we have our Facebook page. It's Lama Body, spelled as it sounds, L-A-M-A-B-A-T-I. In Hebrew, it's so much more complicated. Sure. That nobody nobody ever gets it right in Hebrew, but in English, it's it's fairly simple. So, text us, and you can you can see like updates on our shows and some videos and pictures of fun stuff that we've been doing. And that's on our Facebook page. Good. I'll put, also put it in the show notes so uh, people can find you. Um, thank you so much for taking the time and um, uh, literally going out there in the, <laughs> the streets of uh, Tel Aviv. Yeah, sticking my neck out yes. in this uh, very posh and bourgeois neighborhood uh, where nothing ever happens. Well, you know what? Uh, the listener cannot tell. You it could be a tropical <laughs> island. <laughs> uh, these, these are bullets and helicopters you're hearing over my head. Uh, we're just approaching the Sinai Desert where you can see uh, alligators uh, <laughs> eating zebras uh, whilst uh, enlisting to, into ISIS. So this is a very dark day for humanity. Oh, we totally missed that opportunity <laughs> to do that. Yeah, oh, next time. Yes, yes. Let's, let's do that next time. Thank you so much, Amir. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you. Absolutely. All right. Have a good night. Good night. Bye.